just wanted to say that Jacob and I are going to be leading an interactive workshop on the history of Satan's, and it's going to be hosted by Morbid Anatomy. You can go over to the Morbid Anatomy website and you can sign up for the workshop there. I hope you join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Welcome to the Dispatches, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 47 in Fanic Panic. Mm-hmm. I know, right? We're coming up on a big round number. Soon this show will be late middle-aged. It's going to be 50 years old. Yeah. With mm-hmm. me this week is Jamin. Hello. And Victoria. Hello. And I'm Jacob. Hello. And I'm also with me. Hello. <laughs> Do we want to start with some hell news? Why, sure. So I feel like I may be the last person on Earth to know this, but did you know that Anne Hathaway is a cannibal? I'd assumed it. <laughs> so you're not at all surprised. No, no, okay, no. So you were the second that. to last person to know this. <laughs> no, I didn't know it. I just assumed it. So Anne Hathaway is a cannibal, and it's been kind of under wraps, but in 2013, there were human remains found at her apartment or house that she then sold. And so this all came to light on a a viral tweet where people were posting, you know, delightful pictures of Anne Hathaway, and, and somebody responded that, you know, people were posting as if they didn't know that Anne Hathaway was a cannibal or that human remains were found at her house in 2013. So people were going crazy all over the internet defending Anne Hathaway because there's no possible way she she could be a cannibal and doubting the veracity of the 2013 claims. It does does seem unlikely. (laughs) Well, it turns out she's not actually cannibal. Oh. I know. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly, allegedly, she's not allegedly a cannibal. What the, is she uh, then? See that where this is still this is still a question, isn't it? Hmm. Is she? I don't know. I mean, is she a shapeshifter? Is she just a, a tube worm, like some kind of interdimensional tube worm? Well, is is this is we're talking about Anne Hathaway, the actress, and not Anne Hathaway, Shakespeare's wife, right? Well, are we? Or Anne Hathaway from Des Moines, who actually is a cannibal, but not related to the first or second Anne Hathaway. Right. Or all they I the mean, same part of a time-traveling entity, like you said. Mm-hmm. Maybe Gasp. they're they're a three-part cannibal entity that the Twitterverse unearthed. It's, it's funny because, one, it took me three tries to type cannibal. Um, <laughs> I found this article. Apparently, they were doing science on how easy it is to spread misinformation. But were they... And they did, they did science, and th- but like they just threw poor Anne Hathaway under a bus. Wait, wait, wait. Scroll down to the bottom of the article and see if it's actually authored by Anne Hathaway. 
<laughs> I mean, if you want to get a role, this is one way to do it. Right. Um, want to break out of type, I suppose, but. <laughs> get all those lucrative cannibal roles. Exactly. I mean, you know, really like that's kind of an uncharted territory for an actress of her caliber. But also the it's under dispute whether or not this actually was a Harvard social science experiment, because as many people point out, Anne Hathaway would sue the pants off the entire university. So, mm-hmm. I don't want to suggest snacks for later, but cannibal mm-hmm. roll sounds like a tasty sushi roll. Well, this this brings, I mean, this is a good segue if, if we oh, yeah. segue into what we brought to the party. Yeah. Did anybody bring anything to the party? I brought gourmet hot pockets. <gasps> is this a thing? Yes. Did you not? Yes. Did you not see the recipe I sent you? Was it avocado hot pockets? So it's basically you start with sourdough bread, you mm-hmm. put in turkey, yep. cheese, avocado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's your choice, Miracle Whip or mayonnaise. Oh, uh, Miracle you- Whip is, oh, that's a, that's a health fluid. That is I, I agree. Fluid. I agree with, mm-hmm. with, with Victoria on this. Bland and boring. So I think my problem was that someone had just sent me some clips from Alien Autopsy and I got confused. <laughs> Well, the confusion will continue. Let me pull my jaw back up. <laughs> like Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she can unhinge. That's the other thing is that she can unhinge her jaw and, and uh, therefore she can consume entities three times her size. Mm. We, mm. we shouldn't. We don't Science. want to incite her wrath. Oh, gosh, no. Because but, she might uh, travel back in time and kill our grandfathers. <laughs> <laughs> Making us never born. So, so continue, please, with your uh, homemade artisanal Pocket. pockets. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the key, I, this is actually, this illogically made sense for me. It's like you put everything in the middle of two slices of bread. And they said sourdough, but I just used bread. And you mm-hmm. get a fork and you crimp around the edges. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, as you can see, listeners along at home. He's I crimping. He's crimping down, madly. Yeah. Right. And I was like, oh, you're literally making a hot pocket and you can either deep fry it or air fry it. No, deep fry. Yeah, so it's basically, it's a deep-fried turkey sandwich. Uh, actually, this sounds like a really yeah. life-changing idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, I guess the reason they call it a Hot Pocket is because it's enclosed in a thing. But it, yeah, it is a, avocados. It's, it's a pocket and it's hot. It's a definitional argument. If yeah. a thing enclosed in a thing is a Hot Pocket. Like a foot in a sock? Hot Pocket. Mm. Mm-hmm. Who else? <laughs> so, uh, given given Jamin's hot pockets, his his platter of hot pockets, homemade hot pockets. I brought a wine to pair with hot pockets. So this is from uh, the Quit Whining website, and she's starting with a ham and cheese hot pocket, which is similar to the one that you created, and also probably tastes a little like a baby with with cheese, a cheese and baby hot pocket. Let's say. They'd be very tender. And she was suggesting this for Easter, which I think is appropriate. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So the best wine to go with a Hot Pocket is a cabinet German Riesling. And so I don't know anything about German wines. I certainly don't know anything about Rieslings. But cabinet refers to the lowest in terms of sugar and ripeness of the six subcategories of quality German wine and means that the wine has absolutely no sugar or maybe just a pinch. So these are usually pretty dry and not expensive, 
So in her words, after biting the, the, taking a bite of her hot pocket and then sipping the wine, she noticed an intense acidity and the wine is now tamed by the creaminess of the cheese and cuts through the grease, cleansing the palate. She, it's a, it's a very like salty, sweet experience. And together, the wine and the food seem silky on the palate and it makes the buttery flavor of the dough spring to life. Huh. So it elevates the hot pocket and elevates the wine at the same time. Yes, because this is, I don't know, and maybe kind of a budget Riesling. But in my mind, the less sugar in a wine, the better. I, mean, I, just, I just spoon in sugar. <laughs> That's <laughs> You treat it like iced tea. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True story. <laughs> when I worked at the, at the Fine Art Museum, you know, we'd hold our little, our vernissages. I knew a little lady who would put a spoonful of sugar in her wine. Stir it around, and then add a couple ice cubes. White wine and ice cubes is a thing, and no, this, I, was, this was red. This was red. Oh no, that is sacrilege. And and here's the thing about working at a fine art museum. Uh huh. You need it's neither fine nor art. <laughs> you have your donors, and uh-huh. you love your donors. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you write checks, you can put whatever you want in your wine. <laughs> <laughs> Little flecks of gold. Yeah, uh-huh. we're having wine Boins. schlager tonight. Wine schlager? Oh wine god! I like. I'm just getting a headache just just hearing about that. And red wine. I don't know. Yeah, I like really like. I like my wine to taste like rocks. Like I I like really minerally metallic, almost tasting wines. Hmm. Not a. Not my a, wine not should a be. A geologic experience. <laughs> it really should. That's my terroir is just a barren, for unforgiving landscape. Dry, dry like pumice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to exfoliate my ankles Ugh. with wine. <laughs> for Halloween this year, I'm leaving a bottle of Moscato on your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. I brought some more entertainment. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Oh? Mm-hmm. Being tormented and impregnated by hornets in the building of the hypocrites, mediums, and suicides as innocent babies with sacred private parts watch. Okay, so this actually hits on a lot of points that I found in research today. So I'm, 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 I'm wondering if you uh, tweaked, tweaked your algorithm at all. No, no, I pressed refresh a few times, but not mm-hmm. too many times. And I have to say the phrase impregnated by turns up an awful lot for me. I don't know why it's loaded like that, but it does. Hmm. <laughs> and I haven't, mm-hmm. uh, but the Innocent Babies, that's kind of a new one for me, actually. I don't think I've seen that one before. It's interesting. We've had hornets. Mm-hmm. The babies are just watching. Yes. Like, they're not being tormented. As they do. There's some, there's some baby voyeurism it happens. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh huh. Just their chubby, sitting on their chubby little legs, just kind of with their sacred private parts. Well, again, this kind of fits into more about what we'll be saying in just a bit. But are there profane private parts? If there's, I don't know, sacred versus profane part, private parts. I'm not. Sh- well, I mean, they, they, the difference. They're babies, so presumably they they haven't been painted by the world so to speak. And these are innocent babies. They would have to have been baptized. Gotcha. So as they are baptized, their entire body is sacred. It's redundant, really. 
I think you're right. Sorry, Jamin seemed to be like apoplectic. Answer. The answer is nipples. Because the answer no, is nipples. <laughs> because if there's no nipples, it's art. But if there's nipples, it's porn. Uh, Wait. Mm. Look at these tasteful nudes. And then here's some smut. But they've got nipples. Yeah, like Mary. Mary has Mary nipples. has never had a nipple in her life. Well, she only has one usually. And it's usually nursing the Jesus, right? Right, right. Oh, this goes back to the shots from last time. <laughs> that's my whole purpose in life is to make you cringe it just comes back to breast milk every time it does every time. it does i do jacob i don't know if you remember this from the place that we used to work but that was an ongoing thing where various body parts of animals would have to be uh redacted yes <laughs> so we had lots of like cows without udders and i noticed that strange things like i noticed that. that in the book about hyenas <laughs> like that's yeah these animals are completely their sacred body parts have been completely uh yeah like raptured away i i'd forgotten that but i imagine that being a thing <laughs> is specifically the word you use for udders that have gone missing <laughs> raptured udders <laughs> The title of our next EP. That's right. <laughs> so imagine Actually, like rising up in sparkling light and vanishing. And the cow just looks kind of surprised. Oh man, if one of us was an artist, we could render the rapturing of the udders. Yes. Well, you know it. You know artsy people. I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask my husband. Listeners, if if you tweet a picture of raptured udders that you have drawn yourself. And tag us. I will give you five sunshine points from my own personal account. I'll make you a friendship bracelet. It's way better than mine. That maybe I can, if it's big enough, I can make it spell out sick. raptured utter. I can work you into the next infernal torment. <laughs> Actually, what I could, I can make you a friendship bracelet. Just this holy cow. Nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's your crayons out. Well, shall we start today's topic? Sure. What is today's topic? Well, it's a continuation of last week's topic, which is a continuation of our kind of ongoing meta topic of hell and dark things. Okay. Last week, we talked about infant damnation mm -hmm. and the patriarchal control of women's bodies. Yep. yep. And the babies you find in hell. Uh -huh. This week, I think we're going to talk about, I guess, 101 uses for an unbaptized infant. Yes. And why? Wait, I started last episode, like, kind of concerned like about the topic you know it's like i have to present myself professionally and like it was actually really great really informative and we were all very professional and i realized i didn't have anything to fear and then i saw the notes for this week's and now i'm, I'm afraid again so. i think yes we probably should again state that this is academic exploration a semi-academic and often humorous uh discussion of these topics we do not mean to cast aspersions on any group especially Anne hathaway and and other bacchanalian cultists <laughs> exactly but also i uh, you know i use the Anne hathaway story to kind of get at the idea of slander and uh, libel uh, oh, because clever. that seems to show up a lot in this story or what the stories we're going to tell today well, touching, touching on potential triggers for people who want to skip this episode again. 
Uh, I'm seeing goat love, incest, mm-hmm. political murder, and baby breading. And yes, lots and lots of baby breading. Lots of bloodletting. There is some bloodletting. Various children. Tasteful bloodletting, guys. Let's Tasteful bloodletting. Yeah. Historic bloodletting. It's always hard to tell when we're going to have a lighthearted romp and when we're going to go down some sort of vortex of trauma. Yes. And this is kind of both. This I know. Is kind of both. Yeah, it really is. That's really, I think our objective is really like somewhere in the middle of delight and horror. Make, trying to make Jamin cry and actually making Jamin cry. Yeah. Aww. Somewhere between the two. What was the old perfume ad? Somewhere between something and something lies obsession. Between love and madness. Is that what it is? That's what Google says. Okay, that makes total sense. Somewhere between breakfast and brunch. (laughs) Well, do we want to start in 186 BC? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I think I know uh, what happened in 186 BC. It's a a huge, uh, a huge party foul. Yeah, scandal. 186 BC. (laughs) So this was the... Bacchanalia panic, which is the first of a lot of really pointless religious persecutions that we have good notes on. Maybe you look deeper than I did. I tried to find some accounts of the crimes that were committed by the Bacchanalian cult, the mystery cult. And all I could find is just these imprecations of very dark crimes and blasphemies and horrors. But really, like it sounded like a big sex party, maybe with some fascination. I think that's it. I think there was concern about it potentially being a anti-government conspiracy. Right. Because mm-hmm. they were worshiping not necessarily Bacchus proper, but Lieber Potter, mm-hmm. god of wine, freedom, divination, and rights for the masses. See, it's that last one. That's yeah. the problem. Like, try uh-huh. that in Rome and people get kind of edgy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I don't. I couldn't find any actual crimes committed either. Right, um, but I think we have child molestation, death, and ritualized rebirth, assassination. But I think it's kind of the trend of like, what are the worst things we can throw on somebody? We'll apply that to our enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I think forging wills, forging wills, like last will and testament. Oh. Really? Forge? Oh, forging, not for, like, not like, ting, 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 we're forging wills. Yeah, no, that's that's a weird interpretation (laughs) of that phrase. Well, I was like, where where there's a will, there's a way. And so if Mm -hmm. we hit your will with a hammer, I forged your, I, like, honestly didn't understand it, but yours makes way more sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just a fairly simple, well, that, I mean, that and they practice every other kind of crime and lust. Yeah, I like that. Like, that's quoted every kind of crime and lust. Yeah. Just all, all of the them. Crime. Jaywalking. Horny <laughs> jaywalking. Mail fraud. So that kind of sets the background for the next round of infantic panic stories, uh, which we pick up in 200 AD with the writings of Minutius Felix. So we've, we've covered this before in our first Satanic Panic episode. So, I mean, all of this came from Livy. Yeah. So just this one dude who created all of this uproar and insisted that the Bacchanalia had been banned because of these crimes. But it turns out that there are a lot of other reasons why he might have done this, including the fact that there was a mixing of classes. Oh. In these, so the whole like rights for all things, kind of this mixing of, of various classes, that it was allegedly run by women, that they were the main 
figures. Again, a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And also that it uh, showed an outsized Greek influence on Roman culture. I, I thought at this point they were the same thing. I <laughs> Well, and that's the, that's the counter argument is that this has been going on for 200 years at least at this point, And they're really like, there are elements of both that have been brought into this celebration. So again, this kind of goes into some notes that we'll be hitting throughout in the 21st century. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just real quick, mm -hmm. for the first Bacchanalian panic, mm -hmm. who prosecutors and whom's were the prosecutees? Who was doing what to whom? So there, there was a Senate that proposed legislation to reform the Bacchanalia, but they did not actually ban it. Um, oh, yeah, the lame, sad Bacchanalia. Exactly. Like so the, it's kind the of the Masonic Lodge Bacchanalia. <laughs> or, you know, some might argue what pride has become. <laughs> so they tried to, yeah, they tried to kind of water it down, but it doesn't seem like there really was much like indictment. I think Livy kind of claimed that there was, that there was this whole big, you know, there was scandal. There was a huge, like, you know, these things are no longer allowed. Yeah, there's just a move to try to reform it and kind of make it boring. Yeah, probably put like the make right the, the right people in charge. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Remove the whole like rights for all aspect of it. Yeah, eat, drink, be merry. You just can't have rights for all. Right. Maybe put some sugar and wine cubes, ice cubes, put some sugar and wine cubes in your water. So <laughs> just, it's just a sangria. That's right. Uh huh. Exactly. It's the official drink of the new Bacchus party. It's like that watered down oh, wine. But anywho, that sets the stage. Yeah, for Minucius Felix, uh, 200 AD, where we start getting into some Christian persecution at the hands of pagans. Although Minucius Felix is a Christian writer, so we've kind of an interesting situation. I'm going to read for those of you that missed episode 17 his description of a christian initiation the details are as disgusting as they are well known a child covered in dough to deceive the unwary is set before the would-be novice the novice stabs the child to death with invisible blows indeed he himself deceived by the coating dough thinks his stabs harmless then so horrible they hungrily drink the child's blood and compete with each other and another as they divide its limbs then it goes on into the usual kind of lights out incest party mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Presumably more people die or something like that. And then you're, then since everybody's uh, committed crimes of incest and um, baby breading, then everybody's to blame if the authorities come. So you're now one of us. Yay. So one thing I hadn't noticed before, but this makes a lot of sense. Norman Cohn mentions that serving the babies in a breaded format uh, while adding to their carbs also mimics the Eucharist. So that's a nice touch. And so this is not a pagan writing about Christians. This is a Christian apologist saying, this is what pagans are saying about us. Uh, and Tertullian, another Christian apologist, kind of says the same sort of thing. So these stories are probably in the air and maybe inherited from some of the Bacchanalia type stuff or other crimes of the past, because these things never seem to be invented whole cloth. No, no. And I don't know if we were reading the same book, but I've been. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Odds was, are. Is it Evil Incarnate? Actually, I can't find my copy of Evil Incarnate. Do you have it? 
No, I got this at a secondhand store. Oh, well, I was reading Europe's Inner Demons. Uh, the demonization of Christians in medieval Christendom. Okay. Well, I wonder if that's maybe a source for evil. We'll have to figure that out. But yeah, I rely heavily on Evil Incarnate, uh, Rumors of Demonic Conspiracy and Satanic Abuse in History by David Frankfurter. A very entertaining read. It really, really is. Particularly but at parties. It's true. But this, uh, you're right. Like these things kind of carry through. And there's even in, in the 1990s, there's a story that's similar. So there's an account from the 90s about, and this is something we may want to explore. If When we do our series on various satanic panics, there are a lot uh, that, ha- that take place in Africa um, in the 20th century. This is from an account by a man named Emmanuel Eni, who uh, was allegedly initiated into an India-based satanic cult in Africa. So his book is 1987, sorry, I thought it was in the 90s, called Delivered from the Power of Darkness. And so one of the rituals that he describes is very similar. So early one morning, this woman named Alice told me that there was an important ceremony to be performed in the house. At 2 a.m., she brought a crawling child, a girl, alive, She slaughtered the child into pieces and poured both the blood and the flesh into a tray and asked me to eat. I refused. She looked straight at me and what came out of her eyes cannot be explained in writing. Before I knew it was happening, I was not only chewing the meat, but also licking the blood. While this was happening, she said, this is a covenant between us. You will never say out anything you see me do or anything about me to any human on earth. The day you break this covenant, your own is gone. So there's this, uh, yeah, like this bonding and the kind of like, breaking of bread so to speak but there's a baby in the bread and yeah kind of a form of communion in a way yeah this is i'm gonna go on a pointless tangent here that's kind of Fair interesting because because any was not given the free will to break his own promise to god like that was magic done to him right so mm-hmm. he was forced by the powers of darkness to break his um covenant with god in this narrative that he wrote to sell many books um so you know you know about him i don't i don't know what, oh. i know what you just said um and i know that <laughs> i know the general patterns of this sort of thing you spoke with great authority well played well i've been taking diction lessons and i've really kind of gotten good at the um that's the way it is voice lately i don't know why toastmasters has done you well <laughs> <laughs> But I was reading the Sorcerer's Treasure, the grimoire mm-hmm. of Saint Saint Brioche. No, Brioche. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, the Book of Saint Cyprian, the Sorcerer's Treasure. This is the painter's mm-hmm. name of necromancers. And there's a scene in the book where a man sells his soul to the devil, which is you know it's done, and then he sells the soul of his unborn children. And like that is that presents a paradox to me because like can you even do that? Wow. Okay. So it's almost like Bitcoin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> pay, pay it forward. <laughs> so baby souls are the cryptocurrency About of seventeen eighty. Yeah. <laughs> did we discuss it? Did we? Did we come to an answer last time? Do unborn babies have souls? Like, did, depends. Was he just selling. This isn't the soul of like fetal babies. This is a, he's trading in baby soul futures, right? So I guess does that when they come so to again like cryptocurrency? Date, yeah, <laughs> is there a finite number of souls out there, thereby ensuring 
value for those souls. Well, it's like the highest prime number. There's only so many of them. Okay. Okay. Anyway, right. neither here nor there. It was just kind of a question that had been lingering in my mind. That is super interesting. If there are a finite number of souls, mm-hmm. what if we've already run out? Like, what if we run out in like 1850? So, do like, you think that maybe we're just kind of like, you know, how you sort of dilute, like, okay, so we're running out of dish soap. So, you start adding more and more water. Timeshare souls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, not using like, my soul between eight and five this week. I promise. <laughs> or if you're, if you're reincarnated, there's more people than souls. It's like, oh, I was born without a soul this time. Next time I reincarnate, will I? Let's try again for the soul lottery. I don't know. I mean, do I get a you, soul this time? I think if you're if we're just reincarnating, reincar. I don't know. I don't know why I couldn't say that correctly. We're reincarnating. Then it's also you know there's finite bodies of containers for those souls right because you just right keep popping up again right you're never going to have more bodies than you have souls if you're reincarnating one assumes that there are enough souls mm-hmm. like that's that's part of the plan like bitcoin yeah like like bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> i would say i know absolutely nothing about bitcoin so i'm just going to continue b- making generalizations about it with authority. With authority, because, I mean, it's a made-up currency, so I could make up stuff about it. Victoria, expert on Bitcoin and hell. <laughs> so the, the whole baby 101 uses for thing is put onto various uh, heresies throughout the next, you know, 1500, 1600 years or so. Mm-hmm. The first one I read about was the Fraticelli. Hmm. I, I remember these vaguely from, like, high school history. This was a group of franciscans that were really franciscan like they believed that the church should not have money which obviously that's not gonna fly oh no (laughs) so uh, Mm -hmm. this group that was like more franciscan than francis was kind of condemned as a heresy because they were just very problematic Mm -hmm. and they were accused of playing the game of pass the baby which is a very popular one where you pass the baby around until it dies and i think that in the 800s the Paulician heretics i don't know what they were about maybe they were anti-trinitarians were also accused of playing past the baby. Some later heresies, uh, heretics were also accused of this as well. And they light great fires and sit around them and pass the child from hand to hand and finally throw the baby on the fire, leaving it there until it's entirely consumed. And then they make those ashes into a sort of bread and each eats a piece by way of communion. So the bread thing comes back again. Yes. She bread. Mm-hmm. Gross. Ashy bread. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have at least used uh, activated coconut ashes. So these are different. Is is this a different accounting than the heretics in Orleans? Because it sounds very similar. Well, they do sound very similar, don't they? That keeps happening. Uh, mm-hmm. These are from France, Soissons, France. Oh, okay, this is a a different thing. Hmm. Oh, I'd like to float an abbreviation for you. Sure. Um, UBBB, which okay. is unbaptized boiled baby broth. <laughs> and okay are you bbf which is rendered unbaptized baby fat i like are you like are you bbf uh-huh yeah those will come up a lot later i think when we talk about ungents yes mm-hmm. which is like animals what an, an, an like an, un- an ungulate no is- no that's that's a hoofed animal exactly. you can probably make unguents from ungulates though is it 
what is the is it un un okay i'll look it up or ungents i'm never sure but anywho i learned a new word ungwent ungwent okay ungwent um but they are different from uh ungulates who would are cud chewing hoofed animals right don't make those mm-hmm. confusions no do not oh man i rubbed an ungulate into my body do not try to make an ungulate from a baby so hold that thought but uh my new word is heresiography okay heresy says writing about heretics it is literally the writing of it about heresies just keep in mind that it's a very relative term because one person's heresy is another person's religion. Right. No, that's very true, actually. Mm-hmm. And her- the root of heresy is basically picking and choosing. So heresy is about making choices, not about BBBFs. Truth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I just a few interesting uh, heresy or descriptions of heresy. So there's Thanus or Epiphanius of Salamis, 4th century BC. So there's a description of um, Gnostics that... It's like the big mama of all heresies. Yes. And so this one, this is, of course, you can't talk about babies without talking about sex. Yeah, I'd like to go back to that, but yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of of sex and that uh, leads to babies and kind of like... What did the two have in common? In the Middle Ages, nothing. Mm-hmm. It's true. So uh, this is from the. This is about Gnostics. Uh, although they have sex with each other, they forbid the begetting of children. They're eager for the act of corruption, not in order to engender children, but for the pleasure. But if the woman becomes pregnant, then listen to something even more dreadful, which they dare to do: extracting the fetus at whatever time they choose to do the operation. They take the aborted infant and pound it up in a mortar with pestle. And mixing in honey and pepper and some other spices and sweet oil so as not to become nauseous, all the members of the herd of swine and dogs gather together and each partake with his finger of the crushed up child. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Point of order. When assembling ingredients in a mortar and pestle, you start with the dry ingredients first and work your way up to the moist ones. Yeah. Herbs, uh, you know, solid ingredients like peppers and seeds, Mm -hmm. um, then the baby, then the honey. So maybe, well, I mean, we could put the recipe on our website. Okay, no. <laughs> we can adjust it, do some testing. Um, Just take any guacamole recipe and substitute baby for avocado. But make sure that you still squeeze the lime. Right. So that there's no oxidation. <laughs> you don't want Very important. You don't want baby browning. No, there's no, <laughs> no. nobody wants that. Uh, it can ruin a party. Um. There's also a really interesting one um, about Egyptian pagans, and this one is a little bit more lighthearted. So, oh, I'm going to sing like 1950s shopping music to make it lighthearted. No, okay, go on. <laughs> so the pagans were seizing the children of the Christians and slaying them for their idol kothos. The what? Their idol kothos. K-O-T-H-O-S. Is that how, did I mispronounce? Kothos? What part of the body is that? Oh, uh, they're, so they're seizing the children of Christians and slaying them for their idol. So he is not yet, a, there's no part of the body mentioned yet. Okay, so it's not they're seizing the chickens and plucking them for their feathers. 
They're seizing the whole children. And sacrificing They're using every two. part of the buffalo. Right. Pronouns, pronouns, pronouns. Okay. So the Caesars have an idol named Kothos to whom they offer children. Yes, in a very specific way. Damn those heretics. Okay. Yeah, they get creative. These guys get creative. So, um, for instance, one day they waylaid them. And so, like, waylaying the Egyptian pagans and saw them performing the lawless acts by slaying the little children and pouring out their blood upon the altar of their god. They seized some of them, the children, and handed them over to the tribe. Oh, wait. So, the... The Caesar, now there's, there's several Caesars. I'm sorry, I'm reading from an account. So there are people who followed the Egyptian pagans and seized them and then interrogated them. And here's what they learned. We call out to the children of the Christians and deceive them and give them morsels of bread and little things to eat in order to shut them up in hidden places so that no one outside would hear their voices. Free candy, Van. Exactly. Free hugs, free candy. And in this way, we slay them and pour their blood upon the altar and take out their intestines and stretch them to make strings for our harps, and we sing to our God on them. We also burn the rest of their bodies and reduce them to ashes. And everywhere we know that there is treasure, we take a small quantity of ashes and cast them upon it. And we sing on the harps with the little children's intestines for strings. The treasure comes to light at once, and we take what we want. And the rest of it is basically showing that God is more powerful than the Egyptian thingy. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the denouement of this sort of story in general. Indeed. Mm -hmm. And then... But you always have to do really awful things to then prove that God uh, has strength over you. It's true. And I feel like that depiction, like I... It's an unbalanced formula. (laughs) I don't know anything about Egyptian pagans. Um, However, I feel like that was a little glib. Like, they're telling of it. If they, I don't think they would have really told it in that way. So here's the thought about Egyptians. They're probably yep. not having any real problem with taking someone's intestines out and stringing them up somehow because, like, that's a hobby with them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You're, uh, good point. I mean, maybe. It's Saturday. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this ain't no big. I mean, where else are you going to get harp strings? <laughs> but there's that idea, like, ashes also become important. Yeah. How many times are we going to say, we'll talk about that later in this episode today? Like, I'm up to like seven. <laughs> well, I feel like it's all going to come together, maybe? Yeah. there's a lot like of stuff. Like, it, we're just repeating things over and over again. Because there is a continuum of these certain... Tropes. Tropes, right? Uh, and they all point to this um, way of othering whoever you're against at the time or whoever you feel threatened by. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Do you have more heresiographies for us? Oh, I have one more and I'm sure I'll have some later, but this is the, these are the heretics in Orleans in 1022. They were involved in orgies and child sacrifice. So they gathered indeed on certain nights in the designated house, everyone carrying a light in his hands. And like merrymakers, they chanted the names of demons until suddenly they saw descend among them a demon in the likeness of some sort of little beast. I see. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the foley. That was Jacob, by the way, not him. <laughs> As soon as the apparition was visible to everyone, all the lights were forthwith extinguished, and each, 
with the least possible delay, seized the woman who first came to hand to abuse her without thought of sin. This comes from 200 AD. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Whether it were mother, sister, or nun whom they embraced, they deemed it an act of sanctity and piety to lie with her. When a child was born of this most filthy union, on the eighth day thereafter, a great fire was lighted and the child was purified by fire in the manner of the old pagans, and so was cremated. Its ashes were collected and preserved with great veneration as Christian reverence is wont to guard the body of Christ, mm-hmm. being given to the sick as a viaticum in the moment of them departing this world. Indeed, such power of devilish fraud was in these ashes that whoever had been imbued with the aforesaid heresy and had partaken of no matter how small a portion of them was scarcely ever afterward able to direct the course of this thought from this heresy to the path of truth. So we got ashes again, and the the proper magical properties of ashes is from babies. Conveniently, whenever people uh, are engaged in alleged orgies, there's complete darkness, and nobody ever really knows. Right, right, right. That's the that's a Sabbath, <laughs> Sabbath rule too. Like um, in the 280 ones, they would it was very baroque. They would tie dogs to lamps <gasps> mm-hmm. and then throw meat out for the dogs to chase the lamps. And presumably the bark, 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 bark was the signal for the, the incest orgy to begin. But is it like those, uh, the guy's name who makes the elaborate machines to like butter toast? Oh, yeah. Rube Goldberg. Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that was Rube, Go- Rube Goldberg heresy machine. <laughs> okay. They tie lamps to the dogs. Mm-hmm. No, so- no, no. They tie the dogs to lamps. <laughs> I like the idea. I like it took like some, you know, Amelia Bedelia of of heretics. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna take this literally. I'm gonna tie a lamp to a dog. <laughs> so they're big lamps. So I don't know. <laughs> and God said, "The lamp shall light the area in front of the lamp stands." Are these so? <laughs> is this like? Is this like tying? A torch to a cat's tail and letting loose in the forest, and it starts a forest fire. Is that what's going on? Mm-hmm. They tie, they tie a dog to a lamp, and then right. they tempt the dog with food. So the dog runs towards the food, knocking the lamp over. So nobody's responsible for the darkness. Oh, the mm-hmm. dogs extinguish the lamps. Yes, yes. Because, mm-hmm. because that way, no one can say I. Turned out the lights. I just threw the meat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Try it here. Try it here. Mm-hmm. I'm not firing on all cylinders tonight. I tell you what, I'm just not understanding how these orgies work. Well, and also if, if uh, the dog doesn't go for the meat, well, it's like, okay, no orgy. Well, I mean, the dog's probably going to go for the meat. So, you know. Yeah, I'm sure they set it up so that the dog goes for the meat. Yeah, because it's a dog. Mm-hmm. And it's meat. This kind of brings me to the topic of um, sacramentals, which I've been wanting to talk about for a few weeks now, Mm -hmm. largely leaning on the book Demon Lovers, Witchcraft, Sex, and the Crisis of Belief by Walter Stevens, which was a very good read. It talks about kind of the malus malificorum and how witchcraft was being used to bolster people's belief in God. Mm -hmm. A A fun read. But uh, Stevens talks about kind of sacramentals as a sort of folk magic. So this also kind of ties back to our hell news from last week where we were arguing about whether or not priests have magic finger powers. Yes. The rituals and sacraments of the church became kind of like spells. 
and they were spells the priests could complete. And I think that the priests would probably want you to believe they had magic fingers, and the church is kind of downplaying that idea. And somewhere between the two is like actual policy, I suspect. But the church, the priests would use magic words and magic gestures and magic ingredients like water to dilute wine and holy salt and bread and things like that. So the implements of these sacraments had magic power on their own. The blessed candle, the holy water, making the sign of a cross, these would drive off demons. And they were things that anybody could use and anybody could do. Like anybody could make a cross and um, it had power. In the book of St. Cyprian, Cyprian is trying to like cast a spell on somebody and they cross themselves and his magic goes like that, which is kind of sad. So there were these magical things that could be used to kind of, they kind of contained holy power. Witchcraft was constructed as an anti-sacrament or a counter-sacrament. So, witch stuff would almost always, I mean, again, this is like fictional witchcraft from the 1600s, would generally be blasphemous reversals of the sacraments and frequently more powerful than the rituals as well, because, you know, you could curse somebody without them knowing it. So, the sacramentals were like objects containing holy power, and then kind of some things contained anti-sacramental energy. And this was the word I was going to build up to last week, unbaptized babies. Okay, so babies are sweet and innocent. Yes, we all agree on this. Look at their chubby cheeks. But until they're baptized, they contain original sin. So, an unbaptized baby is like this basket of corruption until it's baptized. So, I can't find the the actual phrasing of it, but Walter Stevens kind of implies that they're like anti-sacramental mana batteries to store like dark energy that can be used in rituals. And that that is extracted with things like the popular BBBBF or the unbaptized boiled baby broth and baby fat unguents. unguents. Mm-hmm. Salves. Let's say. <laughs> so these, these substances became like charged with anti-sacrament power and like they could be used to, you know, you wipe this stuff on something and it attracts demons all of a sudden instead of repelling them. And like these things cause corruption by their very presence. So, yeah, um, anti-sacramentals as a source of dark energy. There's a lot of other inversions. Um, Just to to show where we are, though, we've started with the Bacchanalia scandal slash panic. We've moved to Romans, or we've touched on Romans, Roman rumors about Christians. We've moved to Christians' rumors about heretics. And we're moving kind of into the area of witchcraft. Right. And we're starting to, but these inversions, they're not only in the sacraments, but also just in behaviors and like cultural mores, right? So you've got like this inversion of, you know, procreative sex and heterosexual (laughs) sex um, you've got an inversion or a mixing of classes, which is a big no-no. And you've got things with goats. You got things with goats. You got bestiality. You have these perversions of appetites. So instead of, you know, there are all these woodcuts of these very kind of domestic scenes, but they're cooking babies. Right. And you've got an inversion of night is the inversion of day. Mm. And, and I mean, most of the priests were women. Like main efficients were women, and that's a big reversal there. That's that's a that's a big one. And um, mm, 
I'm sure it'll come to me. But uh, yeah, yeah, inversions. There's one more, and I can't remember. Pierre de Lancre in the Tableau de, Incon- de l'Inconstance de Mave Angue. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't know if I said that. In 1612, uh, <laughs> describe, is, is a journal of a witch hunter, and he describes the Sabbath uh, along the lines of the devil appears at midnight, witches are transported to the Sabbath on Friday, the devil appears in the form of a black goat and boinks all the women, and then the men and women all boink. Newborn babies are devoured, and then the unbaptized boiled baby broth is drunk. And then they do a lot of spells like let's spoil all the harvests and things like that, all maleficent magic. I thought one of the more interesting things here was this sort of life cycle of birth, well, corrupt sex, birth, sometimes from that corrupt sex, and then sacrifice to initiate the dark disciple who then, and his initiation is celebrated with incest. <laughs> so it's, it's a, sorry, yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it's like this, <laughs> this serious inversion of like the kind of birth, birth adulthood life thing that's kind of a part of nature and society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's that's one yeah. of the big, bigger inversions is just warping that entire the life cycle yeah so yeah let me ask this you've been reading literature on this like you've you've done the research you use the word inversion mm-hmm. like the opposite or you turn it upside down right yeah would the word perversion be more applicable because it's not like we're taking uh, we're taking the sacrament and we're making the anti-sacrament. It's we're taking the sacrament and we're making it corrupt. Oh, yeah. I think both right? apply. Yeah, both apply. But I think since it's so frequently like just a flip-flop of a standard Eucharist, like it's not mm. just warping it, but it's it, it's like the opposite of kind of entirely, which is why I've been using inversion more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, I think it's it's all of the above because say if you have... Within the within the broader category of like inversion, so you're doing the domestic life, right? So the the cooking scene is the the perversion of that is that you're cooking a baby. So it's kind of like they're kind of mixed in certain ways, but certainly like a perversion is you know rituals that instead of using you know holy fluids, say like holy water. You're using like menstrual blood and excrement and things like that. So that's kind of the perversion aspect of it, I would guess I would say. One of my favorites was uh, a, a ritual for warping the sacrament into a into an anti-sacrament substance. Well, you bury a consecrated host with a toad to create like a jar of maleficent, of malefic energy goop. <laughs> so you just kind of like, like. Yeah, like rubbing the toad on the Eucharist or just kind of like... You could just pee on it, but that's a, this is a more exciting version of same. So, let's go back a step. We've got this... We've got... Oh, what was the word you just used? You've got power, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got power which you can apply. So, it's like I've got this jar of evil power. Yes. And, you, you know, you said, okay, so like, like unbaptized babies are born with original sin. So, is sin equals power? Question mark? Well, it's this... So, with the babies, you don't just have original sin tainting them but you have i mean babies are like seen as innocent and also depraved at the same time like i mean if you say hey he killed a baby everybody would go oh the poor baby so i mean there's 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 power in just kind of killing this sweet innocent creature that's the symbol of new life at the same time that sweet innocent creature until it's baptized contains like both depravity and innocence at the same time and it's a really powerful kind of vessel 
And I think that's maybe another inversion is like good, you know, good and evil. Like the baby is such a, like, I don't know, you know, appears to be innocent. Yes, there's, but there's kind of this uh, ambiguity about a baby. So maybe, I don't know if it's an inversion or a, a perversion, but it, it shows yeah. how important it is to like baptize the darn thing too, because, you know, you got to get that taken care of immediately. Mm-hmm. If you baptize a baby, does it suddenly have less potential energy? Yes. Well, it has mm-hmm. less anti sacramental energy because you wash away the sin and replace it with, um, talcum powder so sin is power and so is the potential of the infant's future the power uh which is corrupted by sin well in this in the stevens model sin is not the source of power the power is warping a sacrament and i will add so we have that aspect of it the (laughs) the assumption that this stuff is real however a baptized baby or a baby that is deemed innocent has way more rhetorical power than something that is deemed not innocent. So you can use that murdered baby, like its efficacy to create a fear focused on an, another group is, yeah, it's, it's, uh, so the, it's astronomical. Yeah, the othering is strong. And also when you when you you know when you kill an unbaptized baby, you are taking a soul away from God. Mm-hmm. Like so there's a binary thing there. Okay. And there's also the tendency to for especially witches, allegedly, to remove babies from the womb, thereby kind of circumventing any possibility. So a lot of this is the othering, right? And mm-hmm. I get that. This is the other. And which I guess if you're if you're if you're spreading false accusations, your your logic doesn't have to add up, right? You, like this doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter. She's a witch. Uh, she mm-hmm. turned me into a newt, right? And I would add that it's uh, by having these disordered rituals that make absolutely no sense. You're also casting aspersions on the theology of that group because it's like, look at us. You know, we believe that. Uh, you know, this angel came and told a virgin she was going to have a baby. And but, you know, but this other group, <laughs> they they put a Eucharist in the ground with a frog. Like, what's up with that? So it, it, mm-hmm. it keeps coming back to like power and strength. And it's science, right? You can either create nor destroy energy. So it's like. This log, if you set it on fire, will produce so much phlogiston. If you baptize the log, it will not produce less phlogiston, right? It's the water, the fire goes out. Yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you got nothing. I, I saw where you were going. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how unbaptized babies are more powerful than baptized babies. Other than they're wrong. Look at those scary people. We should persecute them. But I feel like there is. I mean, like, okay, say with the ashes, right? So you've got, you know, the Christian ashes, which are burnt palm fronds that convey a certain level of power or, you know, some kind of symbolic importance to Christians. 
Then you've got the witch powder, which is made from natural ingredients like, you know, your, your wet log <laughs> plus, uh, plus the poor frog who had the misfortune to be buried with a Eucharist and, you know, some herbs. And so that has another level of power. And then you've got like, holy crap, you've got like the, the sainted baby or this, this pure, like, it's, it's like, you know, at the end of, well, spoiler alert, at the end of Time Bandits, when they have the concentrated evil in the toaster oven. Yeah. The baby is like that concentrated good. Yeah. Well, and, and a thing about UBBB is that essentially any act of ritual cannibalism is an inversion of the entire Christian religion. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. everything is foundationally the Eucharist. This is my body. This is my blood. And unbaptized boiled baby broth is both at once. So you're, you are ceremonially mocking like the foundation of Christianity. Yes. And yeah, so we're going <laughs> to talk about Eucharist in a little bit. But <laughs> are we really? We are. We're going to get there. But okay. um, yeah, like if you accept that potentially, spoiler alert, baby equals Eucharist equals Christ. It's then- on my license plate. <laughs> what does that look like those little stick figure figures that show your entire family <laughs> oh my god we have to make some of those but um also like to your point Jamin, about power again you know there is this rhetorical power but also there's uh this belief that you know these groups without these magical items could not certainly have the status and the wealth that they do. So they must be engaging in magic. So this treasure finding ash is kind of evidence of like, Oh, that's why they're, that's why they have this wealth and this status. And that's why his shop is doing better than mine is because he has this special baby powder, so to speak. I think the the mathematics of anti-sacramental energy versus sacramental energy are really unbalanced in the favor of the powers of darkness Mm -hmm. because a lot of the witch trials were not necessarily about othering any specific group. Again, I'm leaning on Stevens for this. They were more about proving that there is a God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The argument, well, the, the, the subconscious argument that you get in the Malice Mouth Forum is that people are trying to find evidence of Malefica, the evil spells, to prove that there is a devil. And through that, they're able to reinforce their own faith in God and the Christian religion. So you have to have some very big evil energy to produce a fairly small amount of divine proof. Yes. Yes. Mm. (laughs) You seem unconvinced. I am unconvinced. I was with you. I thought you were going to say the persecution was not about any specific group, but instead persecution of specific individuals who are not allied with any group. So it's like, like you said, his shop across the road is better than mine. He must be a witch. Stephen's arguments, uh, and, and I enjoyed the book. I did buy it mostly because of the title, Demon Lovers. And I, I don't feel like it delivered on that. But well, there was some interesting discussions of the devil's penis. But um, hmm. But that'll be a later episode. Um, mm-hmm. But what what Stephen points out is that there's a f- strong emphasis on like sex with demons and physical intercourse and succubi and incubi and getting witches to 
confirm those and give their expert testimony in these things. And there is like nothing more visceral and real than like sex with a demon to prove that this is something that really, really happened. Of course, none of it happened. There were no Sabbaths. There was nothing of this. But the more experts that, that testify to these things, the more the system could say, this is why, like, this is what we fight. So, all of the witch hunts, they are, they serve as evidence in a legal sense of the power of Satan. And the power of Satan is necessary to justify and con- affirm the power of God. Like, it's a, it's a weird equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just saved you like 35 bucks on the book, but it's a really good book. And I will, uh, something I want to touch on later <laughs> is another use. The for last, the last that five has minutes. Those testimonies. Yeah. The last five minutes of this episode to- is going to be awesome. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about everything. I know. Uh, but uh, some other, uh, connecting it to like modern satanic panics and, and the purpose of those narratives and testimony, testimonials, testimonials. What's yeah. our next what's our next step to get there? Uh I feel like maybe we need to talk about and I know this is the subject that is going to be the hardest well it's going to be the touchiest one uh we're going to I think we should talk about Eucharist which leads us directly to rumors about Jews. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do we begin? Maybe with the ideas about the Eucharist. So, the Eucharist being kind of the fundamental ritual of all of Christianity, where everybody is communion with Christ, and through that, they affirm their being part of the one true church and mm-hmm. creating this giant golden circle of light? Well, yes. And then the rumor that Jews would… Oh, steal the host, mm-hmm. put it in their cheek pouches, and smuggle it out. And what but- did they do with the Eucharist? They spat on it to say that Christianity is bad. They did more than that. But Jamin, you had you had something to say, or do you want to know what they did? Allegedly, like this is Allegedly. all not real. Uh-huh. But rumors about Jews. Okay. So they would stab the Eucharist. Okay. And because the Eucharist is actually the body of Christ, it would cry out and bleed. And sometimes it would turn into a baby. Really? Yes. So, they needed converted body of Christ babies for their dark rituals? And, yes. So, there's a lot of, like… To make (laughs) the crackers. So, yes. So, they would also… Another rumor is that there was ritual bloodletting of children, specifically boys, to make… To to bake matzah. Is this about foreskins? I do not know that. That was my question. But there's bloodletting also was, you know, allegedly inversion slash perversion of the crucifixion. So there's some there's some drawings that that, you know, the bloodletting itself does look like a kind of crucifixion type scene. This is all all tied into like the blood libel myth. Yay. Do you want to talk about blood libel or you want me to well i think you may have to elaborate on what i would say which is that blood libel is basically kind of just the argument that the jews were responsible for killing jesus and and the uh continuing with on that thread they use christian blood in their rituals and um again like to bake matzos or matzah and that is specifically eaten during passover 
that's not Trafer. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, again, this is one of those things that I, I ran out of time to look up, but isn't that why during a Seder, there's a Jews tend to leave a door open to kind of prove like, we're not doing this terrible thing that you think we're doing. I remember hearing that a long time ago. Uh, like one, 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 one thing is so that Elijah can come in, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was kind of an implication of, of that, that developed during a, a bad time. Mm-hmm. I just typed blood libel into wiki mm-hmm. and there's a big article, but it's blood libel or blood accusation is an anti-Semitic canard, which falsely accuses dot, dot, dot. And I was like, wait, that is not a way I've seen canard used before. Right, yeah. And so, like, there's another article, which is anti-Semitic canards, list of, and it's, like, eight million pages long, and just scrolled through them. There is that. It's, like, every single thing that's been levied against a religious group gets levied against the Jews. Mm-hmm. But I just want to know what a canard is. It's a duck. It's not a duck. Oh. It is, like, kind of a, like, an a aphorism or say, but it's but it's kind of like proven false. I think is that right? It's a small wing light projection attached to an aircraft, or <laughs> to the main wing to provide extra stability or control in replacing the tail. Well, there you go. That ex- that explains. Yeah, an unfounded rumor story is a canard. I like my answer better. I do. I think. I mean, because we don't actually know that there's a w- small wing light projection on an airplane. Well, Moses has two of them on his head. <laughs> so. That provided him with extra stability. Yes. As he flew around. <laughs> strafing. The pharaoh. <laughs> uh, yes. So we Truly their God is greater than ours. <laughs> oh, Jamin. Uh, the word canard is a French word. That evolved from the phrase um, half selling a duck or cheating someone. To sell half a duck. Yeah, I got to that part. I was like, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. I'm yeah. learning a thing. So the open door is it for really the is duck. Yeah. So the open door. So the open this- door is for Elijah, but also there are, there. I'm finding a few things that say, like, okay, it also was just in case there's somebody eavesdropping. Or something of that nature. Open and honest. Mm-hmm. So, again, with the blood li- so part of the blood libel was also that Jews were reenacting the crucifixion through this ritual bloodletting. And so, this has been used potentially to explain unexplained deaths of children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was such a big thing in the 80s. They would say... Hundreds and thousands of children are dying based on these satanic ritual murders. It's like, well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are a couple of key children who were venerated because it was believed that they were killed by Jews. One of the most uh, well-known is Simon of Trent. Uh, this is during the 15th century, and he was a two-and-a-half-year-old boy whose disappearance and death was blamed on the leaders of the Jewish community of Trent, and they confessed under torture. Gotta say, he's awfully cute. He's adorable. He really, really is. If you were, like, looking for a poster child uh, for blood libel, and as a matter of fact, he is the poster child for blood libel, but there's another one with an even cuter name. <laughs> Funny thing. He's on the box. <laughs> 
He looks kind of like the Quaker Oats guy that's on the box. <laughs> he really does. He's like the milk carton kid for blood libel. Um, but so there are three, uh, three, three, well, sort of, uh, high status Jewish families. Um, and so one of them was named Samuel. And so they went house to house looking for this kid. They specifically searched the house, the houses of the, of Jewish families. And the Jewish families also under, they, they started to search. They, they <laughs> were like, we're, we're going to look for this kid too, because we know where this is going. Um, and so the servant, uh, in Samuel's house, th- they initially didn't find the kid in any of the Jewish households, but the servant in Samuel's house, did find the kid in a water cellar that is used for ritual bathing. And so the Jewish leaders reported this to the authorities, thinking that they they had been promised that there would not be not be any repercussions. And of course there were. So all of the Jews were arrested. <laughs> and let's see, I think 15 of them were executed men, but then the women were actually let go because they were not allowed to take part in these rituals that that they were forced to confess to. So misogyny saved their lives. Uh, and so one of the accused converted to Christianity, but he was sold out by some of his community because they reported that he was actually at a Seder, so he was killed. But nobody knows, but the kid was exsanguinated, so he did have blood loss. But no, there's still no idea of what happened to him. But there's been a lot of controversy about whether or not he should be a saint or be martyred because that sort of gives credence to this anti-Semitic mm. story about him. And unfortunately, he has been adopted by QAnon as a symbol. Mm. As all good things are. Yes. There is a really vivid series of like tract art and such like from the quote, martyrdom of quote, of uh, Simon of Trent. Mm-hmm. And yep. I would like to refer all of our listener to a website, thebloodlibeltrail.org, which is oh, very, wow. very good. It's got uh, lots of pictures of like St. Peter's Church in Trent, iconography from Simon's martyrdom, what looks like a 16-page tract, all sorts of, of stuff. The, the full title is Blood Libel on the Trail of an Anti-Semitic Myth by Magda Tetter. Yeah, and I think, I forgot what year, but Simon was removed from the roster of saints because of the implications. Like, oh, crap, we don't want to promote this. But yeah, so that's what we have. That's really depressing and awful. And is this a good place to bridge to, like, more modern satanic panic stuff? Yes, I think so. I think so, because, uh, unfortunately, it never quite dies. this is still happening. Right. <laughs> So all of these myths and stories, they're completely like over and wrapped up by the end of the Middle Ages as we approach the more enlightened 1800s. Uh-huh. Sure. Right. Right. You just keep on believing in that. And we'll Bless see you heart. in hell. <laughs> the I- ideas of like ritual murder and the use of blood in Jewish rituals does carry through into the 20th century in various pogroms and campaigns against the Jews and propaganda that turns up over and over again, like not just at the World War II period, but up to 2022. Okay. Hey, (laughs) take us there. Yes. So, I mean, I feel like we need to have a whole other thing on modern satanic panics and However, uh, the same tropes 
appear in Recovered Memory of Satanic Ritual Abuse. Again, there's just this cultural memory using these very specific tropes to get at this particular imagined experience. But here, instead of actually othering a group, in some ways, it's kind of when we were talking about, what were we talking about? I forgot because I kept saying, oh, we're going to talk about this, that I just wasn't listening. Welcome to the last five minutes of the show. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes to a head. It's true. But okay, 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 okay. Like this, the psychological. Okay. So we have many purposes for these testimonials Mm -hmm. to prove the existence of God as one. Yes. And the supremacy of God. Sure. Um, When I was reading the Penguin Book of Exorcism, and I've said this several times, the author says that this is like a hotbed of demonic activity this century because we're in the same sort of situation where uh, society is having to prove the power of God by generating a satanic scare. Yes. Mm-hmm. Religious uncertainty creates demons. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural mm. change. And paranormal romance creates demons. <laughs> so first a ghost and a lady fall madly in love and then they take a special kind of nap and <laughs> And someone sings Unchained Melody. <laughs> That's right. So, so other, other purposes to, to disprove the theology of other religious sects, to create fear-mongering against racial others, to keep distance between the classes. And QAnon throws the Hollywood elites under the bus because they're the ones that are harvesting infant blood to become immortals but hollywood elites that's just subtext for jews isn't it oh yeah so really like everybody is just being total dicks to the jews throughout history oh and also to explain the out group like how did they get this status and how did they get all that money you know how did why did they have a good life it's because clearly they're dabbling in black magic and killing babies and using their ashes to a treasure hunt but another one is to project your taboo thoughts onto somebody uh, onto evil like so it's outsourcing the things that make you uncomfortable within yourself like you've Uh, had these thoughts (laughs) like maybe you're thinking about an orgy you know maybe you're thinking about all kinds of these terrible terrible things and so you prove that these things exist outside of you in the world through these testimonials and through these recovered memories Oh, yeah, them. Yeah. So you are, you are enjoy like not enjoying, but you're kind of cleansing yourself. My recovered memories always service during orgies. <laughs> That'd be funny. Your recovered memory of like eating at the cookie bar in your church. Oh, no. Like, suddenly, <laughs> this is really breaking the mood. You're in the middle of an orgy. <laughs> Just when you've summoned the goat. Then you start thinking about the cookie, the cookie bar, um, and the jangling keys. You've taken my orgy to a strange place. <laughs> but so a lot of these, yeah, like this is kind of like you know I think I've used this analogy before about like the soul or one of the main reasons why uh, games like The Sims exist is so that you can enact all of the taboo things that you can't do in your regular life or know like I do not want to go down that path. You could kind of like sandbox them, right? So, um, <laughs> so there's a like this is a dreadful a, analogy. 
<laughs> it's true. I know, I've never played The Sims, but people have told me stories about catching their kids doing very um, questionable things in The Sims and the kids being just like, well, I'm not going to do it in real life. I just wanted to see what would happen. If, so, you, build the, if you build the mechanics, you're expected to implement the mechanics. Right. 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 That's, it's that's like a just gun. logical. Mm-hmm. In the first act. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of that, like the prurient interest uh, in these taboo subjects have come out, like come out in these. And that's another potential explanation, as I've read, for why these tropes continue is because like, they're good. (laughs) You know, everybody kind of responds to them. It's exciting stories. Yeah. So they're just little tweaks here and there, like using the intestines for harp strings or, you know, having this, this particular kind of sexual thing and this shows up a lot we're making it all into into a diy tiktok video <laughs> exactly like i think tiktok is kind of the the uh the woodcuts the mo- the moving woodcuts of of our day but yeah oh and my so gosh <laughs> oh wow but there's i mean so if you do look at you know there's a lot of really kind of spectacular art uh woodcuts and tracts and things that are feeding this kind of prurient interest because a lot of the woodcuts about which is Sabbath specifically is a Hans building green, I think would make these very like eroticized woodcuts of witches Sabbaths and even making the witches look sexy while they're eating, you know, human entrails and feeding them to their children. There's some goat guys in the background too. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's definitely this psychological need to, Kind of exercise these sexy demons. Yeah, it's that sex, sin, female energy. Mm-hmm. Just like TikTok. Just like TikTok. Just like TikTok. Just like your cat girls. <laughs> but this continues again into the narratives of the recovered memories um, from the victims or alleged victims of satanic ritual. Methods. Yeah. There was the question of how could children have thought of anything so horrible, but we've been thinking of everything so horrible for 2000 years. So mm-hmm. that's out there. It's floating out there. I mean, yeah, you, you murder babies in fairy tales. But there's also this interesting thing, and this comes from um, the book that I got most of my stuff from, Evil Incarnate, where in those narratives, you often have, you know, you have adults allegedly remembering what happened to them as children whilst also witnessing this happening to other children. So there's this interesting situation where, in many cases, the victim is both like the actual victim and also a voyeur. And so that's another argument that this book positions is that children are kind of the ultimate uh, tool for voyeurism, because you could kind of like... They're completely blank slates. Yeah, you just so, put whatever words you want to in their mouths. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, yeah, so so these narratives always have this kind of weird tension between victim and voyeur. Right. I and, mean, there's always the person that is involved in the story is also is like writer and narrator and victim all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. But also another interesting element and going back to what you said about how could children think about this and also to our uh previous art um discussion about whether or not children are inherently debased uh, debased or if they're inherently innocent is that children also have been implicated in devil worship and there's one of the key which 
is it called like it's not witch hunting but like witch seeking manuals of which 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 finder which finding which (laughs) which finding which i kind of love it's like making maps you know like wayfinding um but nicholas remy in the 16th century uh in his uh witch finding manual he argues that children should be executed for consorting with the devil and in augsburg there was a massive in um, incarceration of children accused of witchcraft by their parents because of their so-called aggression and flights of fancy and you know, what the parents called sexual games. I'm so, taking I'm taking Adderall right now for my demonic infestation. So yeah, so say, think, yeah, that's not witchcraft. That's ADHD. Yeah, like just any kind of aggression, hyperactivity, like the terrible twos. Well, the whole sexual yeah. thing that's it. It becomes demonic because you believe that children are innocent, but like infants molest themselves in the womb <laughs> i mean yeah like that's kids i mean yeah like it's what you kids are kids i worked with <laughs> i worked with like nine-year-old boys who yeah that's just a thing like or that's just a thing that kids do yeah. and you know there's just just not understanding childhood like child development and also any kind of like hyperactivity or whatever but i mean this also goes back to our discussion about celtic mythology and changelings and uh the effect of fairies like a lot of this stuff also isn't it kind of an explanation for child abuse like straight out human on human child abuse as well as neglect so you know there's always that dark side of projection of very real world you know actions onto the supernatural and also to go back like to your comment about nine-year-olds it's the whole how many dolphins was it the picture with the dolphins (laughs) please don't leave me hanging (laughs) the picture of the dolphins are you talking about one of those magic eye posters no, so there's a picture with like it's either five, seven, or nine dolphins. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Depending gotcha. what version of the Kabbalah you believe. Okay. And uh-huh. the way these dolphins are, I wish you could see my hands. The way these okay, uh, saucy mm-hmm. optical illusion. Mm-hmm. You're depicting it. So isn't it? It's not an Escher. No, 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 no. It's five, five dolphins, naked lady. So you see either a dolphin or a naked lady. Yeah, like the dolphins. Mm-hmm. Ah, damn it! I see it. Yeah, the bottle. Of with art of like two naked people wrapped up together, but the shading is like dolphin outlines. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That, that middle one looks more like a mess. It's that one because there's one that's not a bottle. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, it's one very similar to this, in which, if not this, and I'm just dumb, in which, if you show this picture to a child, they'd be like, oh, look, dolphins. Because sexuality has not developed in their psyche. The innocence of childhood means you can do things without applying them with an adult perspective. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Mm -hmm. If the child had never seen a dolphin, what would they see? A bottle. Oh, okay. That works. A Molotov cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like there's more to say here i'm not sure how to break this episode up well i mean we could do like solomon did and wait a minute it was how how would one split a baby three ways um 
Solomon would know. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get one of those little cake cutting guides. So a word on that. That baby was Nama's daughter. Oh. Yeah. So it's a, okay. So we have a callback. A bit, yes. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll pick that topic up next episode as we continue with baby cryptids, baby demons, and such like. The last third of the baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the meantime, you can check our show notes for a lot of our references within this episode and check our drop down menu to find more information on our social medias. Yeah, social medias and such. Mm-hmm. And until then, I guess we will see you in hell. Bye. Bye. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. So, Fraticelli literally means little brethren. Like, it's got the diminutive on there. I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I looked and like, what about vermicelli? That means little worms. What the hell?